Welcome to the Fresh Start Church Podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. Here you'll find preached messages from our pastors. We pray that the spirit of revival is imparted to you as you listen. To watch live, check us out on YouTube or visit our website at freshstartaz.com. And to stay connected with us, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. I'm going to begin reading in Ephesians this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. I, I can't get away from these verses. Reading out of the Passion Translation, it says, Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and to accomplish all of this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream." and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Now we offer up to God all the glorious praise that rises from every church. I said every church in every generation, in every church, in every generation, in every, in every church, and in every generation, through Jesus Christ and all that will yet be manifested through time and eternity. Amen. Psalms 118.5, David said, When I was hard pressed, I cried to the Lord and he brought me into a spacious place. I feel like God wants to break off limitation today and he wants to bring us into a spacious, broad, huge, large, unlimited, place father speak to us we need to hear your word today and the church said amen you can be seated thank you team when hard pressed when hard pressed I cried out to the Lord when hard pressed I cried out to the Lord and he brought me into a spacious place when I first read that scripture my mind immediately went to 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 verses 8 to 9 where Paul the Apostle said we are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed perplexed but not in despair persecuted but not abandoned Struck down, but not destroyed. There's something about being in a hard press that causes you to cry out to God for more. The the thought being hard pressed means that you are surrounded, that there is pressure all around you. 
No matter what side you look to, it's coming against you. So David said, when I was hard pressed, when everything was coming against me, when everything was pressing against me, when it looked like there was no way out, it looked like I was going down, but yet I was not crushed. You see, it's one thing to be squeezed and it's another thing to be crushed. He said, I was perplexed. You know what that means? That means I don't even know what to do with this situation. This circumstance is so beyond me and so beyond my capacity, I don't even know what to do with it. I am perplexed, but not in despair. I've been persecuted, slandered, talked about, belittled, but not abandoned. That I've been struck down, he said. I've been beaten down. I've been knocked down. But I haven't been knocked out. Anybody in this room ever been knocked down? Anybody in this room had the enemy sneak up on you and bam you so hard you went down on your knees before you realized what happened? Good news is today you're here and you're on your feet and you got a praise in your mouth. He may have knocked you down. But he didn't take you out. I just sense this morning that all over this building that that there are people, when you look at where your life is, it looks smaller than you thought it would be. It's like you give it your best shot, but it's never enough. I can't seem to get beyond. It seems like barrenness is everywhere. I've come to preach to somebody today. I really haven't come just to preach a message. I have come on an assignment to break off all limitation. So how far I get in this, I'm not, I, I'm not sure, but all, all I want to do before I leave here is to make sure I heard the Holy Spirit right and said today he's breaking off all limitation. He's breaking off all limitation. If that's all I can say and that's all you hear, that's enough. If you walk out of here with everything that you walked in with that's been holding you back, begins to fall off you just like the spirit of depression was broken off these people. I'm telling you, there's more. There's more. There's more that God has for you. Your limitation. When I was thinking about this whole this whole concept, the God is this God of that has a dream for you. It's a dream. It's a wild dream. 
He said, go ahead and dream as big as you can. And know that my dream is greater. So I was thinking about, thinking about that. I couldn't help but think about the children of Israel. God had a dream. He shared the dream with Abraham. He said, Abraham, one day, you're going to have a land. You're going to be a nation. I promise you. I have a dream for you. We know the story. Famine came. Joseph found himself in Egypt in a place of authority and power. And when this famine came, the children of Israel had to move to a place called Goshen. It's an interesting place, this land of Goshen. It actually borders on, on its east side to the promised land. So when Joseph told his brothers, go get, go get your father, go get my father, bring him here and you will settle in Goshen. Goshen wasn't as big as Egypt, obviously. It was in Egypt. It was a part of Egypt. But it was far enough from the center of Egypt that there would really be no effect in crossing of cultures. So, as time went along, they came and they settled in Goshen. And Goshen was a fruitful place. It was a place of great favor. It was a place of preservation and prosperity and productivity. It was a safe place for them. It had sustained them for centuries. But Goshen had become quite the place. Over 400 years now, it's no longer just the backside of a desert somewhere. It's no longer just a small little plot of land. It has now been overtaken. What was a family is now a people. I, I doubt that there was really very little thought of leaving Goshen. It's been good to us. It has sustained us for hundreds of years. We're good here in Goshen. Most likely because even though they had expanded and it had become quite the place, they had little thought of leaving. They probably, this, this is our place now, this is our land. But I have a feeling there's a reason that Joseph had them settle in Goshen. Because they could still see the promised land. And as good as this has been good to us, as great as our time here has been. You can't stay in a place that long and not begin to absorb the culture that is around it. 
God's intent was that he would have a people that would be a nation. He would be their God. They would be his people. So it came time. It came time for God to bring them out of Egypt. Egypt had gotten pretty deep in them, though. The iniquity, the idolatry, the immorality, it was all in the culture of Egypt. But yet, things were pretty good. Except God was ready to bring them out. See, I believe God was way ready to bring them out before they begin to cry and groan and sigh because of their bondage. Because their blessing became their bondage, they became comfortable. Here they are in the land of Goshen, living out the American dream. We got everything we need. God, it's been good to us for hundreds of years. We don't lack anything. We know this because when they finally got out, got in the wilderness, and it got hard, they said, why don't we go? We may be in limitation, but at least we're comfortable. They had forgotten whose they were and where they had come from. They had absorbed into the culture around them. They lost their identity of God's special people and had become content in Egypt. But God, somebody say, but God. But God had resolved to bring them out. God said, you're still my people, even though you ain't acting like you, my kids. You ain't acting right. You ain't living right. You ain't doing right. But I have made a covenant promise, and I'm going to bring you out. But see, here, here, here's the deal. God was ready to bring them out. Pharaoh, who's like Satan, was very resistant to give them up. But God had made up his mind. They're coming out. Coming out. It's just time for them to come out. See, Satan won't let go of places in our lives that keep us little and contained unless God drives him out. It has to be through the force of battle Had to be through the force of battle. I don't have my watch on now, so 
Here we go. It just popped off. Must be, must be the Lord, just like the Lord. God was ready to go to war. God was ready to declare war on the limitation of his people. He said, I will not let this keep them back. I will not let this keep them from the promise. I will not let this keep them from the inheritance. I will not let this keep them. And God went to battle. God went to war. What did he do? He got up in the mind of Pharaoh. God got up in the mind of Pharaoh and said, if you don't do something, they're going to get bigger and mightier and stronger and they're going to overtake you. And Pharaoh's going, well, okay, we got to do something about this. And so, so the only thing, the only thing that, that Pharaoh knew to do was to increase their bondage to break their spirit. I'll increase the level of slavery. I'll increase the level of bondage. I'll increase, I'll begin to shrink down uh, their, their will for more. And I'll just shrink it down. I'll, I'll get so tight on them that all they'll be able to do is live up under the weight of where they are of, in the weight of settling. For this is the way it's got to always be. He said, if I can get their minds thinking, this is all there will ever be. This is all we'll ever become. I can contain them. I can manipulate them and I can hold on to them. But he underestimated the fact that God had already made up his mind. I'm going to bring them out. I'm saying all of this because I want us to understand church I want us to understand pastors and church leaders this morning. We have an inheritance. We have a promised place. A place that's bigger, that's greater, that's more wonderful than any place we've ever been. It's called revival. It's called revival. It's called revival. But if you think the enemy's going to let that thing go, he's going to hold on. To as many people as these can to keep them limited, to keep them living in a place that God never intended them to be. It was supposed to be a stopping place, not a settling place. What I'm talking about, Spurgeon calls the force of divine grace. The force of divine grace. The force of divine grace is when God is settled on accomplishing his purpose. His prophetic plan in the earth. And even if the people he has chosen to work through are today in Goshen and they are settled before God gets done. He's going to awaken them that there's more. 
Our churches may be filled with people today all over this nation and around the world who feel like what they have is all it'll ever be and this is all they will ever experience but God is about ready to awaken them. God is about ready to show them. Ah, God is about ready to get up in the mind of every principality and power and say, you know what? If you don't do something, there's going to be a rebellion coming up out of the realms of heaven. They are going to get sick and tired of this and you're not going to be able to hold them anymore. The men, Israel, is up under this pressure. They are being hard-pressed. They are settled, but God is not. So he gets in the land of Pharaoh. Pharaoh increases their bondage. Now the land that they have, been, that they have so loved is now where they are serving under Pharaoh. And the men and the women and the children begin to sigh and begin to cry. Our Bible says, by the reason of their bondage. All of a sudden, something happens. And they realize there must be more. But yet, we can't break free. You see, the Bible says God heard their groaning, God heard their sighing. It, it was the it was the it was the press that caused something inside of them to say, "Wait a minute! We shouldn't have to live under this." And there became a cry. There became a groan. Lord, we aren't satisfied here anymore. There must be more. And then, watch God. God goes to the backside of a desert. He doesn't deal with them. He goes to the backside of a desert and begins to put a demand on the apostolic and the prophetic gift of Moses. begins to release into Moses his prophetic plan for Israel. Remember that? He goes over to Moses. Moses, you've been, you've been out here just kind of floating around for 40 years. I'm getting ready to put a demand on your destiny. I'm getting ready to put a demand on your apostolic and your prophetic calling and your gift. And here's what's going on. My children are in bondage and they're crying out. I hear their groanings. I hear, I hear, I hear them. I hear them crying out. I hear their sighings. I hear them. Moses, I hear them. And what I need you to do is go to Pharaoh and I need you to tell Pharaoh, let 
my people go. I need you to let them go because I have another land, a better land, a promised land. I've got a land. I need you to go tell Pharaoh, let them go so they can go where I have promised them. Some of y'all don't even understand the depth and the height and the width of the dream that God has over you. Hell has been trying to hide it. Hell has been treating it from you. And this is why we need to put a demand on the apostolic and the prophetic because the, the, the domain, watch me, it is the domain of vision that they function for the body of Christ. What I mean is, is Israel lost their vision, but God didn't. Israel lost their dream, but God didn't. God held on to it. He said, we're in covenant. You can walk away from it. You can quit dreaming it. You can leave it there to die. But God said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to speak my plan into somebody's heart that can bring you direction. That do, do you realize what happens and this is, this is kind of a personal thing for me. But when, when you take the, the, the ministry of the apostle and the prophet out of the body of Christ, who is going to reveal the dreams of God? When we have churches that have no apostolic and prophetic input, then all they know to do is to create their own vision. And then we have projects and we have plans. We have strategies. We have structures. We have all of these things trying to make something. But their cry awakened the gift that was in Moses. It was his destiny. Vision is the domain of the apostles and the prophets. They carry They create spiritual vision throughout the church. It creates a longing that there must be more. It creates a longing that I've been dreaming the wrong thing and the small thing. You see, before we ever break off limitation, we have to have a revelation of limitation. It was their time to go in. So God had stirred Pharaoh. And their bondage began to press on them. The force of divine grace began to convict them. Why am I living so small? Why am I settling for this? There must be more. It was the weight of their lack that burdened them. It was too much to bear. So all they could do was sigh. All they could do is cry. All they could do is groan. I don't know if I'm touching anybody today. I don't know if anybody else has been there before, but we have been there. My wife talked about it this weekend. We have been there. We're really, all you can do is get in the presence of God and sigh and cry and groan. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. They see what it is. It's God working on you. He stirred up that thing to put pressure on you, to cause you to cry out for more than you have. 
is a constant thing. It is a constant thing. It is a constant thing to be able. Uh, that, that's why I was telling you, I saw that little key card in the hotel a couple of weeks ago and it said, it's your time for more. It's your time for more. It's your time for more. And I said, Lord, we already have that revelation. Yeah, but he said, it's your time for more. Just about the time you think you got more. He says, it's your time for more. I've come to prophesy over you today. It's your time for more. Got stuff everywhere. What is this? Oh, that's a good one. Well, that's a good one. I'll save that for later. I'm going to move fast now. See, after it became obvious to Pharaoh, because Moses shows up and he said, The Lord, he sent me to tell you. That's how he knows an apostolic prophetic thing, because he said the Lord sent me. He didn't, Moses just didn't get up and think, you know, that's a pretty good idea. I should go set him free. We know it was always in him. That's why he had this, the issue with, with the, the uh, soldiers, and he killed one, and all that kind of, or slave, or whatever. Yeah, one is a slave. It's, it's, it's because it was in him. So the Lord shows up and, and begins to put a demand on what he, what he knows is in Moses, and he says, now, Moses, I need you to go tell him Tell him that the Lord says, let my people go. So God, Moses, work it all out. Moses shows up, goes in to meet with Pharaoh, their old friends. Pharaoh, the Lord has sent me to tell you to let his people go. Pharaoh goes, I don't even know who your Lord is. Why should I let you go? I don't even know who your Lord is. He said, you need to let the people of God go so that they can worship their Lord. Let them go to worship. See, Pharaoh didn't know him, so Pharaoh didn't understand. Any worship that came from Pharaoh was out of obligation. But worship, the worship that came from the children of Israel was out of revelation. Moses said, you better let them go because they got to go worship. God told me to come tell you. He said, I don't know who your God is. He said, well, I'm just telling you, it's not going to work out good if you, don't, if you don't let him go. I'm paraphrasing. And we know, we know the cycle, right? He would go tell him. Pharaoh would act like he was going to do it. Then he would be like, nope, just joking. And then there would be a plague. Right? And it just happened over and over and over again. So after a while, Pharaoh figures out Moses isn't going to quit. He's carrying the resolve and the dream of God on the inside of him. He has heard from God. So Pharaoh decides, then what we will do is I will call them in and we will negotiate. We'll negotiate. But Pharaoh is trying to get them to settle for less than the fullness of revival. 
But he's getting ready to find out that revival is non-negotiable. It's not up for negotiation. We're not going to sit down at a table and you tell me your side and I'll tell you my side and we'll come to a compromise where you are happy and we are happy. No, 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 no. Revival is not up for negotiation. We're not going to sit at the table of Pharaoh and hear what he has to say. I'm telling you this because if you really want experience revival and leaders, if you want revival in your churches, it is non-negotiable. It is not let's do it this way or let's do it that way. It's revival all the way. Nonetheless, he gives it a shot. And so the first thing, he says, look, you got to let us go and you got to let us worship. So in Exodus 8.25, it says, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron after the plague, one of the plagues. And he said, go sacrifice to your God here in the land. And he said to Moses, no, we, we got to go at least three days away. He said, no, no. I'll let you sacrifice to your God. I'll let you worship your God. But you got to do it here. You got to stay in the land. And then in Exodus 8.28, it said, Pharaoh said, after another plague, I will let you go to offer sacrifice to the Lord your God in the desert. But you must not go very far. Now pray for me. You're going to need it. <laughs> so the point is, is he's telling him here, look, stay in Egypt. Just stay in Egypt. Worship all you want. Worship as loud as you want. Worship as long as you want. Worship your God. I don't care if you worship. You just got to stay where you are. Stay where you are. But see, that's hard to do that because worship is progressive. You are not going to go into revival personally on one level of worship and be on that same level a year later. Your worship is going to grow. Your worship is going to get hotter. Your worship is going to... Revival comes, it will shift everything over your church. It will shift everything over your life. It will change everything. You will never be the same. And not only will you stay in the same place, you will not want to be in the same place. Six and seven years in this thing, and I don't really want to go back. I don't really want to go back. Like she said, there's nothing to go back to. It was good back then. We thought we were really hot stuff. But when you get somewhere in the glory and the power, when you get somewhere you've never been before, Pharaoh will bring you to the table and say, stay where you are. And you're going to stand up and say, no, sir, I'm not staying where I am. There is It's like, okay, 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 then. Just don't go too far. Don't get too fanatical. Don't get too wild. Don't get too carried away. 
Just, you know, let it be a thing. Just let revival be a thing. You can be revival and you can be this and you can be revival and you can be that. It's just another thing. Let me tell you something. There's preachers all over America today that want fire, or they say they want fire. What they really want is enthusiasm and response, and they want a place that's hyped up, and they want a place, they want all that stuff. But let me tell you, because everybody likes energy, and they want a place full of energy. Let me tell you something. This thing is not about energy. This thing is about presence, glory, power, anointing. So the enemy wants nothing more than us to say, let's pull the reins back a little bit. Oh, if you only knew, if you only knew the things we are accused of, if you only knew, I, I did, this just rocks my world when people walk up in this house and they got a judgmental spirit about what God is doing in this place. And then they'll go back to a dead church and act like God's okay with that. Can you imagine if Peter... After the day of Pentecost, that that's all we're going to get from there on. It's going to be less than, but he didn't say that. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. There's always a press to the more church. Just don't go too far. See, if the enemy can't keep us from going, he tries to keep us from going too far. I don't know if that's even possible. to go too far. A little revival's okay. Just don't go too far. You do realize that only those that are willing to go forward experience more. It's a simple message. Don't park the car and climb halfway up the mountain and stop. Do you know in the 17th century, the church was in deep trouble? Deep trouble. Losing, losing parishioners and the morality of the culture had latched on to a, a, a younger generation and nobody was really interested in spiritual things. So the leadership of the church in desperation came up with a plan. It was called the halfway covenant. Google it. It's called the halfway covenant. They came up with this idea that we will make it easy for our members' children. Hold on to this because I'm going to come back to it. Our members' children to become members of the church without really being regenerated or having a salvation or power encounter. They can, they can get all, all the benefits of being a member of the church except for doing communion. And they created what's called the halfway covenant, which means it, it was easier for people to belong to the church. Less demanding, less accountability. It's called the halfway covenant, 17th century. It was brilliant at first. It, was, it really actually worked. 
people really actually started going back to church because they, 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 they didn't even have to be born again. All they had to do was, was sign this card and then show up for church. And then what happened was the church really became nothing more than a social club. And at first it was great, except what happened was is, is those that were coming into the church under the halfway covenant began to be more than those that came under the full covenant. So it shifted the culture of the church from a generation that had had an encounter with God, from a generation that had been regenerated by the Spirit of God, to a generation that did not have an encounter with God, but simply had a religious experience and and it became acceptable in their church. The problem with that, obviously, is still the immorality and the idolatry and the iniquity of a culture now became acceptable to those that attended church. Even to the point that later on, they're even slid in the fact that they could do communion because the generation was raised up of ministers who came into the church under the halfway covenant. Until one day, a man of God had had enough. And he walked up to his pulpit and his name, Jonathan Edwards, began to preach sinners in the hand of an angry God. And conviction fell on the church. Revival came on the church. They felt like they were falling into hell, history tells us. They were weeping and they were crying because he got up and declared the fear of God back into the church. And revival came. An awakening came. My point is, we don't have time to soften this thing. We don't have time for any more halfway covenants. It's time to go all in, all the way. I'm telling you, God's ready. God is ready. God is ready. I really believe all you pastors and church leaders, you are here today because you are a witness that God is ready. You are a witness. Not everybody has thrown in the towel. Not everybody has walked away. Not everybody refuses to believe. I received a call from a young evangelist Thursday. And I could tell, he, he was asking me, he said, what, what, do you, what, do you, what do you and, uh, what do you and Pastor Kim, and he really should have asked her first, but she was getting her feet done. <laughs> you know, it's intensive, you gotta have good toes. <laughs> it just so happened somehow, I ended up in there waiting, but unfortunately, they had the basketball game on. I'm gonna about that. What? Oh, yeah, that's why I was in there, believe me. Don't worry, y'all ain't getting my toes done. But they won't give me half price, so I'm talking about, what are you talking about? So what's the deal with that? I only got one foot? Can you give me a deal? No, I said, nah. 
I appreciate y'all laughing at my pain. That's okay. <laughs> you know, God loves us too much. And he has, he has so much mercy that he will not allow us to stop anywhere short of our full inheritance. He, our God, will graciously repeat the call until we completely obey him. See, this is why I believe there is hope for the church. The young evangelist, I totally forgot the way we were going with that. The young evangelist called. And I could tell, and, and, and he, he's, you know, he, he just said, is there any hope of revival in our nation? He said, because what I'm seeing, I'm not seeing. But, but, but what you got to understand, historically, that's when the most massive revivals and awakenings take place. It's when you go from church to church to church to church, and you say, no God, no God, no God, no God, no God, no God, no hunger, no hunger, no hunger, no revival, no revival, no pursuit, no contending. What are we going to do? Watch God and his grace and his mercy. He can apply the pressure until they begin to cry and sigh and moan. You see, if you've already got the taste, taste to see that the Lord is good. If you've already got the taste, I have to tell you, revival's already messed you up. And God's not going to, he's not going to let up. He's not going to let up. You're saying, well, maybe we will, maybe we won't. But I kind of like the idea. If, if there's a seed on the inside of you, if there's a flame on the inside of you, God is going to blow on it. God is going to water it. God, in his mercy. Won't let us go. Okay. So it's like, okay. Okay. More plagues. Exodus 10. Nine and eleven. Moses answered. We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, and with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate the feast to the Lord. And Pharaoh said, the Lord be with you. Watch this. He's mocking. He's mocking. The Lord be with you. If I let you go along with the women and the children... Clearly you are bent on evil. What he meant was, if I let you go, it's going to turn out bad for you. No. Have only the men go and worship the Lord since that's what you've always been asking for. And then Moses and Aaron were driven out from the presence of Pharaoh. The negotiation point is leave your legacy behind. Oh, I'm going to preach on this. 
Leave your legacy. I'll let you go have revival. I'll let you go worship your God. But you go ahead and leave a generation behind. Matter of fact, you leave an old generation. You leave a young generation. You leave the women behind. And you just go ahead, all the men, y'all just go and do your worship thing. You just leave your legacy behind. Oh, but Moses says, no, we can't do that. No, we can't do that. We can't leave our children behind. We can't leave our wives behind. We we can't leave our senior citizens behind. We're not going to leave anybody. No, we're not leaving until we all go. I will still fight to my last breath for generational revival. I will still fight. Though we are living in a culture that has been weaponized against our children and they're trying to destroy their minds, trying to take away their morality, trying to take away their life. But I have come to let the Antichrist know the church, the restrainer is still in the earth. The ecclesia says no, no, no. Since Roe versus Wade, 62 million babies have been killed. You say, but it's getting ready to be turned over. It is. And we ought to thank God that it is. And we ought to give him praise that it is. But the war is not over. It's just one of the battles. We still got to fight for the generation. Because if they can survive... If they can survive from abortion, they're going to be indoctrinated with all kinds of perversions, all kinds of craziness and silliness. But who's going to stop them? I'll tell you who's going to stop them. Revival moms, revival dads, a revival church, a revival in the land. No, you're not taking our kids. I've never seen a generation so blatantly attacked that even in the last six months, there's always been an underlying work of the Antichrist to take out an end-time generation of kids. One, one, One revivalist said it like this. He said this, and I'll hurry because i got to close. Never let a generation grow up without the knowledge of the divine things which contain the germ of revival in years to come. How many revivalists have been killed through abortion? We do not know. But when the church does their job and parents do their job and we deposit the knowledge of the divine things into our children, you say they don't understand it's deep. They probably understand more than we do because they have pure holy minds, untainted minds. 
They have the same Holy Ghost you have. They speak in the same Holy Ghost tongue that you speak in. They carry the same wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding of God. And when divine truth is deposited on the inside of them, it may not be understood here, but somehow it gets inside of here and they carry within them a seed that causes the Antichrist to rise up and say, we got to kill him. We got to kill him. We got to kill him. It was a Pharaoh spirit. He did the same thing. This nation is going to get too big. Kill all the baby boys. You ever wonder why the baby boys are not the girls and not the boys and the girls, just the boys? Do you understand the culture back then? The culture back then, it, it was the girls, obviously, that grew up to be women. And the women took care and maintained the home. While the boys grew up to be builders and warriors. The spirit is not afraid of maintaining churches. It's afraid of building and boring churches. Because that's the only thing that can save a generation. I'm telling you, church, we can't sit by and act like this doesn't matter. This is a season. This is the time. It matters what we do during this time. Don't tell me to sit down and shut up. Don't tell me to talk about abortion. I will talk about abortion. It is the realms of hell. It is murder. And it's going to stop. And it's going to be overturned. You say you're political. No, sir. I'm governmental. I'm an ecclesia. God is a God of government. We shall rule in righteousness. A revival generation. I got more, but I'll leave that. Because we got one more. Then we're done. Most said, no, we're not going till we take the young and the old. We're taking the whole generation into revival. You, you, you do understand that the thief do not, does not attack something or invade something that does not have something of value in it. Why has he attacked this generation? Oh, because they're mean, they're evil. No, because they carry within them the germ of generations of revival. He wants to take them out because of what they carry, what they're going to say, what they're going to pray. When I heard my, my seven-year-old grandson praying for the stop of abortion, calling it to be ended in our nation, that was all I had to have. That was enough for me. If he can say it, I can say it. If he can pray it, I can pray it. If he can believe for it, I can believe for it. One more. Pharaoh's like, okay, 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 nah. In Exodus 10, 24, he says, and then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, go worship the Lord. Even your women and your children may go with you. Only leave the flocks and the herds behind. 
Moses is like, no. Because if we leave the flocks and the herds and we get out there, we don't have anything to sacrifice. And I'm not going to take God something that doesn't cost me something. The negotiation point was you can have the anointing without the sacrifice. Can I ask you a question, church? How much anointing do you want in your life? Pastors, how much anointing do you want on your life? How much anointing do you want over your church and over your families and over your children? How much anointing do you want? Because I have to let you in on a truth. I have to let you in on an understanding that you're going to have to experience places of sacrifice and places of suffering. And I, and I have come to tell you, if you have been down the road of suffering and you have been down the road of sacrifice, you're merely steps away from the greatest anointing over your life, over your your ministry, over your church, over your family. The anointing is about ready to leap all over. I find it interesting that Moses' tabernacle reveals to us that the path to the anointing, you had to go through the pain of sacrifice. Before the priest could move into the holy of holies before he could move into the tangible presence the place of the anointing he had to pass through the place of sacrifice it can be a bloody place it can be a messy place but there's no shortcuts I said there's no shortcuts Flocks and herds were necessary for the sacrifice. But see, Satan hates sacrifice because he understands that sacrifice releases power. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the message of the cross is full of those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Such power is released. So much power is released. That Satan is constantly coming up with devices and delusions and deceptions to keep us from paying the price and taking the easy way. But there is no shortening. You have to go through it. I wish I could tell you everything's always going to be great. I wish I could tell you, follow hard after God and you'll never have a battle. You'll never have a struggle. You'll never have misunderstandings. You'll never have those things in your life where you're constantly saying, why God, what is this? I don't understand this, but I submit to your glory. I submit to your presence. I submit to you do all things well, God. I submit all of that. I don't understand what's going on, but I submit it to you. But one thing you can count on me for, God, I'm not going back and I'm not staying and I'm not negotiating. I'm moving forward. I'm moving forward. I, I don't 
don't stop. You know, you got to go through a lot of blood to get to the anointing. But don't stop. Keep walking. Keep walking to the holy place, to the holy place, to the holy place. Catherine Kuhlman. Catherine Kuhlman. We all know was a great woman of God. She said, do you want to know? Do you want to know what the anointing cost me? She said, do you really want to know what the anointing cost me? She said, it cost me everything. God needs people who are willing to press through the suffering, to pass through the struggles. If it costs me everything, I just want the anointing. Because I know if I don't have the anointing, I can't help anybody. I can't help anybody. It seems like, you know, I think she said something about dying a thousand deaths or something like that. Said every time before she would walk out on the stage, she said, I would die a thousand deaths. God is looking for people that are willing to rise to a level that they feel so insecure with who they are that ever before they grab a microphone, they are anguish of soul. I can't do this unless you help me. I can't do this. Unless you help me. I can't do this. Unless you help. It's a place of struggle. It's a place of surrender. It's a place of sacrifice. Moses said, I'm not going to leave them behind. And he didn't. And when they came out, they came out with everything. They came out with more than they ever dreamed was even possible. They came out with stuff that didn't even belong to them. I'm talking about breaking off limitations. I'm talking about moving into a realm of no negotiation. It's all in. It's all now. It's everything. We're laying it on the altar. I can't lose because I ain't got nothing to lose. Thank you for listening in to the Fresh Start Church podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. You can order Pastor Kim's book, Doorkeepers of Revival, at doorkeepersofrevival.com. And you can listen to Fresh Start Revival Worship on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you stream your music. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.